So maybe you recognize this guy. He's Rainbow Head, and he's used to be at a lot of sporting events, by the way. He would always kind of position himself behind the goalposts or behind the catcher in the stands and, you know, kind of draw attention and, and have the John 3.16 sign or the John 3.16 shirt on. And it, it just became kind of, a, I don't know, shorthand for the gospel. And, and rightly so. It's, it's an astounding passage that we're going to tackle here. But we'll, we'll look at the full passage in its context, John 3.16 down to uh, John 3.21. By the way, he's not at any games anymore. Because he's in prison. I don't know the full story. You can look it up. But <laughs> so I throw that out there for you. Before we, we, we look at the text, it, it is quite a lovely text, right? And, and especially for you to put your own name there in, into this text, right? Here's, here's Rachel sitting right there. It, I think it is important, especially if we have difficulty appreciating God's love, to personalize such expressions of love. You know, for God, imagine, imagine Jesus kind of riffing on this. For God so loved Rachel that he gave his one and only son so that in Rachel believing in him, she shall not perish, but Rachel will have eternal life. I know, right? <laughs> But if you actually have someone do that for you and you are attentive, there is something that really does stir in the depths of your soul, realizing that we have a God who has made an overture at this level, holding nothing back whatsoever. You know, on, on a side note, even the idea that there's only one way to heaven, that Jesus is the exclusive way. Even as I say that, some of you bristle a little bit, even though you know better. Right? There's only one way. All other ways are bunk. Right? Even as I said, aren't you feeling it a little bit? But my goodness, if there is multiple ways and God did that, right. well then Jesus is a stooge and God is a monster. Yeah. If there are other ways to give his one and only son over to horrific terrors on our behalf and you can just... Think deeply and namaste your way into heaven? Then, then, then why this? But this is so intimate, wonderful, and priceless. My goodness, why not embrace the clarity of this and know God at the level that he really wants us to know him? Now we're going to look at this passage because it's interesting. This passage is famous only of itself. You don't ever see Rainbow Head up with John 3, 16 through 21, right? The full context, right? We're always supposed to read the Bible in context. But what's interesting is there's always a balance in God as we read of him in scripture. That he's, he's not just simply the permissive grandpa, nor is he the, 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 the wrathful, vengeful one either. You know, both pictures come to people's minds when they think of God. But there is a fullness to God that makes all of that come together in such a way that grace has the impact it was always designed to have in our lives. And so let's read the whole passage here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned. We like that part. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so there's an interesting tension that develops in this passage, of course. We've got a God who saves, but we also have a God who's not afraid to declare, you stand here already condemned. What happened to the other? And, and so we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But then we also have us in here. Us really also in tension. Should I come clean? Should I just put on my church clothes and act churchy and, and fake it till I make it? Or should I just blah, let myself be who I'm really supposed to be? And, and so we're going to look at really taking all of God and then also bringing before God all of us and not being selective because in that selectivity, everything unravels. And so my first point is, all of him, all of God, not just the God who so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, but also the God who says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. We, we have a God who is not just simply a, a God who affirms you at every turn. What would that look like if you had a dad who did that for you. Think of the narcissistic monster that would be systematically developed if you as a parent only affirmed every single choice and action of your child. No matter how dangerous, no matter how self-destructive, no matter how other destructive, no, no matter how, what a monster was being formed, that all you did was, oh man, that was, that was special. Look at you. Man, that, that a boy, that a girl. Keep it up. Just, just know that I love you. Uh, my, my goodness, that would be a, a frightening social experiment if you ever chose to conduct it with your own child and thus ruin that child's life. But what about on the flip side of it? What if there was never an attaboy, never an girl, only condemnation, never hearing yes, only hearing no? That's the difficulty. This is... This is kind of the, the, the tension that a lot of people have in, in, in their view of God, right? Is he, you know, kind of a, a Santa Claus grandfatherly figure who only spoils the child? Uh, or is he this angry God of, of wrath? Now, now, God's anger is described throughout Scripture. It's, it's described plenty of times. But his anger is an anger that is meant to destroy but destroy all that within us and all that within the world that need not stand any longer. Anger is always a destructive idea. Uh, whether I'm, I'm angry at, at Deb over something, there's something that goes awfully wrong if I give full vent to my rage with Deb because I am really deploying destruction. Now, if, if I'm deploying destruction 
against my own sin, that's pretty positive. If I'm deploying destruction against even someone else's sin and I can do it in a very godly, careful, (laughs) measured way that is not about me, but only about God and righteousness. Amen. Same thing. That's why the scriptures do say, be angry, but do not sin. And don't let the sun go down and thus give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't sweep stuff under the rug, but, but, but really make sure that everything is, in, in a sense, really been exterminated uh, so, so the devil doesn't get a foothold. And, and all of us have grown up with different authority figures in our lives that, that cause us to end up having some sort of a view of God that may not actually be the most helpful for us. I grew up with a dad that was really permissive. You know, that that was not a helpful thing for me. Right? I only heard bravo. I never heard boo. I only heard yes. I never heard no. Deb has often said, yeah, you and your brother kind of, as I hear the stories, seemed like you were raised by wolves. And <laughs> and the, the way that you were completely untethered in your early life, kind of doing what it is that you wanted to do. Wow. It's, it's no surprise that it did go down that way. The positive of that is, I actually, you know, knew my, my dad loved me, loved me deeply, and I, I'm fired up about that. But again, every dad needs to be a well-rounded dad. The beautiful part is we have a well-rounded God. Yeah. If God were never angry, well, then there, there would never be any truth worth being angry over. And the, and the reason that God is holy, the reason that God condemns is because God stands for truth. Without truth, then, my goodness, what, what is it that we become as a person, as a people, as a society even, with, without truth, without morals? If, if it's just kind of all permissible, let it all run, run loose. What we end up doing to one another and to ourselves is, is a frightening thing. But now, on the flip side, to have a God who is only yes, only bravo, is oftentimes more rare than growing up feeling that God is just hanging over your head with that lightning bolt, just ready to deploy it, but probably even more so, not that he's ready to deploy it, that he already has, and that you're going to only find out how much more so at a later date. This is not our God either, right? It it, it is not just simply a God of boos and no's and condemnation, but but a God who, who sees in you that you've been made in his image, sees in you that you are his son, You are the greatest precious possession and he wants nothing more than for you to be redeemed, but not redeemed by farce, not redeemed by some sort of a, I don't know, self-esteem affirmation effort that you make in and of yourself or even you make by corrupting Christianity. But he wants you to be redeemed fully, fully from inside out. So we've we've got a passage like this that holds all of these things in tension. And allows us to see a beautiful God who can only bring all of this together in the cross. It's why why the previous passages here speak of, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? So that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This God is only reconciled. This yin and yang of permissiveness versus wrathfulness can only be brought together when the Son of Man is lifted up. When when God is able to satisfy truth, satisfy holiness, satisfy justice, 
and also at the same time express love. Or for you to be truly, fully redeemed, but for that to be a case where you can bank that it was done in a depth of integrity rather than just with a mindless sweep of a hand of a, of a permissible God. I, I, I do appreciate this. Imagine, though, a lot of people do come, come away saying, I just don't get grace. I just don't get grace. How's it supposed to motivate me? How's it supposed to motivate me? I think that happens because we end up in one of these two camps rather than a camp that sees the balance brought together in the integration of God's holiness and God's astounding, intimate love that he has for us. Grace is this idea that while I am more putrid, repulsive, narcissistic, small, and indulgent than I ever really want to see, I am nonetheless more loved and honored and complete than I ever dared hope. Can all of that can only happen because we have a God who is a God that integrates it. And he does it on the cross. My, my goodness, that Jesus goes to the cross as his only son goes to the cross. You know, earlier we just heard Tesfa talking of, of, of Captain's Mast and the, just the difficult time that he had going before that. But, but imagine you going to Captain's Mast, you appearing before the CO of the of the Enterprise, I don't mean James T. Kirk, uh, that you, know, you going before the, the, the CO and having to really give an account for stuff that you know that you've done that is treasonous and actually warrants a death penalty. Now imagine you going, and, and that's really the, the, the history and the work that you've done, and you go before and you're there with dread and you're wondering, is this going to be a captain that is only a captain of condemnation? Is this going to be a captain only of permissiveness? Now imagine that sailor after sailor comes before captain's mast and, and they come out like, you know, dancing a happy jig because the captain says, ah, you know what? I'm in a good mood today. Ah, boys will be boys. Ah, you sold some secrets. Ah, you know what? I love you. I love you. Get over here, you knucklehead. Come on. Go ahead. Go. Get, get back to your post. Right? I mean, if, 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 that, if that was the scene that played out on the ship, you're like, who's in charge of this thing? Ah! But if, if all it was was a captain with glee that was just kind of sending everyone off to execution, you'd also be like, whoa, what, what, what is that? But even though, even though worthy of execution, we, we come before... And we have a captain who, who doesn't actually just say, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to let you go. But instead says, and, you, and, you, and you, you've seen his son because you were on a tiger cruise. And you knew that that captain's son was the apple of his eye. The great pride of his life. The way that he'd have his son on his shoulders as he would walk him around the ship and to show him all of the workings of it and the excitement that he had in his son. And you know that as much as he loved the whole ship and his purpose and his mission, it paled in comparison to his son. And there as you're before captain's mass and you're awaiting what you know is a just sentence. 
He then says, you know, Rachel, I hate that, that this is what you've done. And I hate that justice demands such gruesome consequences for you. But justice needs to be served. And so, Rachel, I want you to meet my son. He's going to take the consequence for you. He's going to bear all of your punishment. And it's going to be the hardest day of my life to see that actually have to happen. But I want you to know that I love truth. I love justice. And I love you, Rachel. And I love my son. But the only way that all of this can be reconciled is through real intervention and not just a sweep of the hand. How different is Rachel from that moment on the rest of her life? How motivated is she by costly grace from then on? And that is our God who so loved you that he gave his only son, his boy, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And despite that, we nonetheless have this conflict within us of, well, well, yes, maybe we're starting to get that it's better to have all of him, but do we really want him to have all of me? Why not take all of me? That's a Frank Sinatra. Not John Legend, by the way. <laughs> but you know why not take all of me? Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I ever put out all of me, what God would think, what the church would think, what my friends would think. Right? Why? It's what the passage says. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. For fear that their deeds will be exposed. Nobody wants to get exposed. And, and yet, we know it's exposed before the most loving and fair God that we could ever even begin to contemplate in the smallness of our perceptions. But even before, what, what beauty is in God, what, what love is in Jesus... We still, man, still go about the small, myopic decisions to hide from Christ. But it's only in the light that we have safety. There's no safety in the darkness. We should fear the darkness. The darkness is where evil percolates. The darkness is where I go from narcissist to monster. It's only in the light where that gets short-circuited. Praise God by God, by even the body of Christ. But, but really by the Spirit. Interesting, this word exposed is the very word that Jesus says to these guys that are, that are likely even here, that are going to be at the Last Supper in John 16. He says, it's to your advantage, as they're having this last intimate gathering, the Last Supper. He says, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving you. And if you're sitting there, you say, ah, how is that an advantage that you're going to leave us? He says, because if I leave you, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the counselor, the, the advocate, goes by all those names. But I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And here's what's going to happen when he comes. He is going to expose the world with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
That's the very path that God gives us to come to repentance and salvation. That's the path of deliverance for everyone here is to allow the Holy Spirit to expose us. The, the Greek word is elenko, to, to, to be elenkoed by the Spirit in the light so that there is a beautiful purging. That I was going to say purging first, then beautiful, and it just came out. <laughs> anyway, there's a beautiful purging that, that does occur in our depth of our soul so that you're not some sort of a jive hypocrite, but you know that deep down, you know what? I didn't whitewash this thing. I came into the light. A few, few years back, uh, Deb and I were serving in the ministry up in um, northern Virginia area. Uh, and there was um, a fellow studying the Bible there. And he, he's fine with me telling the story. He's told it plenty of times. His name is Jack Jackson. Uh, he was a, a talented Musician. He was also a great provider for the family. And he had uh, two boys that were, were, were Christians, a wife, Nettie, who's a Christian. And, but they knew that Jack, there's something holding this guy back. And he was just like a smooth dude, too. I mean, just a, a really impressive man. But as we would start to try to help him with the scriptures, man, oh man, there was a certain demarcation line that you couldn't go past, nor would he go anywhere near it. And it was all about finally getting kind of really open about what it is that has separated us from God. What is the sin in our life that needs to come into the light? And I didn't, I didn't perceive it as fear in him because he was so confident and together. But that's just another way of staying in the dark, really. That's just the way I stay in the dark a lot of times. I just act happy. I, oh, I'm just, you know, full of joy all the time, even though inside of me it's just a you know, horror, horror show. Uh, but, 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 but that is a strategy for, for darkness. And, but it's not a good strategy. But anyway, so, so Jack had this strategy of, of darkness, of like, oh, I'm very interested in these Bible studies and always willing to learn more. Uh, but mm, no, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll be going there. That's not really appropriate. So this happened two or three times. And finally, his two sons. And in this, this picture of God, I think, really came together for me in seeing his sons as real disciples of Jesus. This picture of the tension of God came as they wanted all of Jack for, for Jesus. But they, in the process, became all of Jesus for Jack. And what these two boys did is, oh my goodness, it, it still gets me as I think about it. And, I, and I, I, wish I, I wish I kind of took a picture of this ottoman that's in his basement, right? They came and they, the, the, the dad was sitting down and they sat at his feet and then they, they kneeled right, right there on, you know, with, with their arms on the ottoman, kneeling before their dad, and they just began to pray. And they begged God, and likewise, before even really begging their dad, but begged God that... He would help Jack to see that the only safe place was in the light. And not in the darkness. That the, the, the real breakthrough for him, for their family, was only in the light. And they kept praying. And when they looked up, tears were streaming down Jack's face. And uh, he, he called me up and a couple other guys. And we, we, we came over. And Jack got real. Jack no longer was a man of fear that masked it with bravado. Jack was now a man 
ready to give all of himself to Jesus. Sickened by how long he had kind of put up all of these facades. And he began to tell us not just of pornography. And then he opened up the, the uh, cabinets to, to kind of reveal like all of this pornography, which he promptly turned into a bonfire and a 55-gallon steel drum in his backyard, uh, which was quite a sight. Uh, but, and I thought, wow, that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's quite a collection. Uh, but then he said, but there's more. And I had, was, was never even imagining what this could be. And he said, I have another family. And when I'm doing my music gigs, I'm most of the time actually using that as a ruse to be with my other wife. And, with, and I have a daughter, a young daughter, with her as well. And I thought, wow. Wow, I could see why. There were so many well-constructed strategies. And they would have to be, right? To have so many years of leading such a depth of a double life. But my goodness, when he finally let down all of the guards of keeping himself from Jesus, the joy that attended to that man's heart. Praise God. And then here's the amazing thing too. All of his fears that he thought would be unraveling of his family. It was what his family finally wanted. And they, they had prayed, including his wife, Nettie, right, whatever it is that comes out, if this comes out, for him to be the man you always wanted him to be, then help me to be ready to forgive as well. Yeah. Sons prayed that. Nettie prayed that. And, and as, as Jack came into the light, he was, after some, some, some good counsel for, for Nettie, uh, he was ultimately embraced by his wife, by his kids. They are an amazingly strong family. Nettie brings his other daughter to church most Sundays. She did while she was young. She would drive out herself because Jack would be in the band and would uh, for, for the years and help have to be in the band early. So Nettie would drive over to the other side of the Beltway, DC Beltway. That's no small thing, uh, and, and 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 bring the other daughter and really loved that girl and helped her to be a, a great part of of all that was going on in the fellowship. Jack's sons too couldn't be more proud of their dad, whereas before they always had a, a reservation when they thought of their dad. Everything that he feared ended up only being a fear in the dark. And everything that he feared was completely dispelled, not by hiding in the dark, but by finally coming into the light and not bandaging the wound lightly, but bandaging the wound thoroughly to see the beauty of what that is. Now, that's somebody who's lost being found. You think, okay, you know, I kind of did that at one point in my life. Sure, right? I mean, but... You know what? After a couple of years, as you're a disciple, sometimes stuff creeps in too. Right? And you could be here now after maybe some years of, of living out your life in Christ and thinking, yeah, I'm so glad I did that. Maybe not to Jack's degree, but I did that. And, and you know what? You all did. I, I know. I, I mean, so many of us are, are so integrated in one another's lives. We know the testimonies. We know the beauty of it all. We know the beautiful effect of light from Christ on your very soul. But... Some years go by, and sometimes it actually gets harder after you've got some, let's, let's call it street cred as a Christian. You think, oh, I should know better by now. And certainly this shouldn't be going on in my life anymore. You know, that happened to me, and I, I've, I've told this story before, but 
but I think it bears repeating, that after I had even been a minister for, for just about 10 years, after I'd been a minister, I, I fell into a horrible pattern, and I'll just kind of be, be blatant about this, of, of masturbation in my life. And, and it was persisting for, for, for some weeks and months, and I thought, ah, oh, maybe, maybe I've got this under control. And, but ultimately, I was like, oh, this is not good. And I remember coming to, to Deb and feeling like, my goodness, if we're going to be of one flesh and we're going to be intimate, there's no way I can kind of keep this from her. And, and I remember sitting in our bedroom and kind of getting before her and, and confessing all of this and you know, coming into the light. And I remember in telling her that I saw a woman's face fall. The, the scripture talks about people's faces falling. And I don't know really, you know, we knew what that was until that moment. Uh, some, some, it was, again, a, a memorable evening to say the least. And, and to see her face fall. And, and, and I began to realize later that, you know what? This is why it's so important to come into the light. And even to confess to the people that it makes the biggest difference to because probably the closest person, and I then began to confess to a lot of brothers, but probably the person that most helped me to appreciate what Jesus felt like was seeing Deb. And, and brothers or sisters, if, if, you, if you're married and you've got something you need to confess, well, why is it so important to confess? Because, again, that person who loves you dearly is, is probably the closest proximity of what it would be like before Christ to share that very thing. But now here's the interesting part, is that this exposure, while it began with Deb, and I, and I could, could kind of feel like, well, okay, I've, I've gotten it out of the light, I'm better. And by the way, five, six, seven months go by, and you know, I'm, I, I am, I'm, I'm living much, much differently, completely differently. That's not happening anymore. But then I end up in a group of brothers, it was around 2003 or four, and, and at that time, if you were familiar with us, we weren't actually... Um, so helpful with one another if we began to confess anything with each other. We were going through a stage where we just kind of patted each other on the back and saying, hey, thanks for sharing. But not really helping to be fully exposed by the light and want the light to really get in there. And, and while, while Deb was massively helpful to me, at the same time, there was a lot that I needed to really kind of probably work out with brothers as well. And, and some of the brothers that were really helpful in my life. But I remember confessing to these brothers and, and they then began to ask me question after question after question to help drag me fully into the light. Because here's the interesting part. Even though I had come into the light at that moment and I, I was no longer kind of hiding in fear, I had not yet repented. I was now just changing my behavior by gutting it out. But then those brothers began to ask me, what, what excuse did you give yourself? That you could intentionally indulge your flesh like that repeatedly. What excuses was it? And, and what desire were you looking to have fulfilled? What exactly was the activity? When did it happen? I was like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, the white hot spotlights. You will confess it. And, and, and I thought at first I was like, man, you, I, I haven't done it in six months. Back off. But they could perceive. Praise God. They did. They could perceive that, that I was content with just a kind of a, a facile, hey, this is what I did, uh, but I'm much better now. Ding! Right? And, and it, it, but, but praise God for those brothers, because then they really did ask me some really exposing questions 
that help to expose my desires, expose my excuses, expose the fullness of my behavior, and ultimately in that exposure, bring conviction. The word exposure is the same word as conviction in the Bible. And bring a conviction that the beautiful part about that is I walked away from that feeling as if I was a completely different man. And, and I can say from that, that point on, I've not had even a, a kind of a hold on tight to, to get through it struggle. I have been delivered, released, praise God, right? This only happens in the light. This, what if I had in my arrogance thought, ah, you know what? This is, this is I'm a minister. I don't want to, I, I don't want to hurt people's faith by, by talking about the fact that I'm you know, kind of indulging in this awful fleshly way. Uh, I, I can't do that. I don't want to hurt them in that way. What if I had gone that approach? I'm just going to work on this myself. I know the scriptures. I can do this very thing. Holy smokes, you know where we would be right now? I'd be out of the ministry somewhere, and, and we would be at a, at a crossways with one another as well. In a deep place. Why? Because the only happy place is in the light. The darkness is not your happy place. You may think that it is. But this is a beautiful passage, a passage that lets us know who God is and to want all of Him. And also, it's a passage that really calls us to say, I want all of me before God. Because only when it's all of me in the fellowship, all of me in relationships with one another, all of me worshiping God, only then, then will we be able to appreciate the beautiful effect of grace on our souls. And this year, you know, the middle of John has the great passage. He gave us life and life to the full. So at the end of many sermons, we're just going to have a hashtag life to the full challenge. And oh, that was a visual I had earlier, but never mind. Apparently, the Holy Spirit didn't want me to tell that story. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, as our, our life to the full challenge is come into the light. You've got some great fellowship with people here. You have somebody here that you can connect with. And have fellowship in the light. Come into the light and live in the light. Celebrating every part of that. That's your happy place. Uh, We're going to close in one last song. Oh, happy day.